The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source for all the latest news, tips, techniques, strategies, etc. about how to achieve financial independence through real estate investing. And today is the last Wednesday of the month, making it question and answer week. But this week, I have a very special guest with me to help answer questions about the most uh, underrated, underhyped exit strategy in real estate investing, landlording. So if you're a landlord or if you'd like to be one or if you've stayed away from being a landlord because you've heard uh, that it's just too much hassle, stay tuned today and ask your questions by going to askvina at gmail.com. You can email them to askvina at gmail.com. You can also call them in at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. My guest today is Mike Butler, who is uh, pretty famous around the country for having started his real estate investing career while being a full-time police officer in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Uh, he bought two properties a week while he was doing that part-time. And uh, when he got to 75 properties, he decided it was time to bring in some assistance. And he hired somebody five hours a week to come in and help him. Now I know you're struggling with your two units and you're a full-time landlord. So maybe there might there might just be something you could learn from Mike today. Joining us by phone from his home in Louisville is Mike Butler. Mike, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. How are you doing today? Doing doing great, Mike. How's how's the rental market in Louisville? Oh, it is booming. The phones are ringing off the wall. I think we've got three more rented up today. And uh, it's just phenomenal. The best rental market I've ever seen. And if you ask the old timers, the ones that have the white hair, they say it's by far the best. If I'm talking about people who've been doing 35, 40 years, this is the best rental market ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of demographic reasons for that that I think people have probably figured out for themselves. I.e., when buyers aren't buying, where are they living? And when people go through foreclosure and they can't buy, where do they live? And when you take 15 to 20 percent of all of the properties in certain neighborhoods off the market by foreclosing upon them and then boarding them up, uh, that sort of results in less rental housing available for more people who need it. So uh, it is a very interesting rental market across the country. I'm reading I'm reading uh, uh, articles that say that, uh, you know, major think tanks are saying that rents are going to go up 10% over the next two years. It's a, 
it's a good time to look at rentals. And Mike, I think we both know that over the course of, oh, let's say the 10 to 15 years prior to ni- to 2007, uh, a lot of the education that we would hear at our real estate associations or conferences or on webinars and so on said, stay away from rentals. They're a pain in the butt. They, they, you know, you get the, get the big chunks of cash, flip properties. Don't, don't, don't do rental properties. And, um, I think now we are settled back down to a normal where people understand the value of the long-term growth and tax benefits, et cetera, et cetera, of rental properties. But let's talk about that thing that stops everybody from doing it, which is management. How yeah, how did you manage 75 properties with one part-time person? Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that it was a desire. And uh, I had a burning, fueling desire and had enough common sense, Vina, to realize that if I had three or four properties, that's not going to give me true financial freedom. And I saw that my original goal back when I was a policeman was to get some properties and allow those things to pay themselves off by the time that I retired, thinking three, four, five, six, or seven. And when I really jumped in and saw the opportunities that real estate investing provides, not only, and I didn't understand any of the tax benefits, please understand that, Um, I saw I could really really truly achieve financial freedom for my family with this thing called real estate and so i didn't want a painful hobby you know i I discovered that and kind of looking back at it now i could have let's say 50 properties and have a part-time office person who's good at doing what you and i might call grunt work the painful stuff Mm -hmm. that they can do it better than me i could work less Mm -hmm. and make more money and um so that's what I kind of discovered. But there's an interesting fact that uh, I think that you'll agree with me if I could ask you this question. And I know you've done this when you travel all over the country, too. You ready? Yep. Okay. What would your life be like if you had 20 properties paid for free and clear? Well, it depends on the 20. But that's true. It- <laughs> so let's say they run it for... Let's say they rent it for 800 bucks a month, and I'm, I'm just trying to do a cookie-cutter theory just for educational purposes, okay? Mm-hmm. But if they rent it for 800 bucks a month, and let's say you netted 500 you know, life would be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the only problem, and I'm never, as a rule of thumb, now Vina's very, very sharp on this stuff, guys and gals, but uh, I've never had just the regular Joe investor challenge that question they would say life would be good that's what they want to achieve the only problem with that though vena is that's point b (laughs) that's where you're trying to get to and you can't get to point b without starting at point what a A, yes and they're they're scared to do that because they don't have a system it's very frightening folks are scared and in today's market there's no safety net yeah there's places out there that are treacherous, and we see that all over the news, but at the same time, quietly in the background, there's boatloads of opportunities for those that know how to see them and take action on it. But I'll stress, now more than ever, there's no safety net like there used to be before 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very and, true. And, and and at the same time, Mike, you know, that one of the reasons that people 
are so attracted to that idea of owning paid off rentals is that they've seen other people do it. You know, I mean, the guy, the guy that uh, lives next door that always wears the overalls and, you know, always drives the, the 20 year old car. And then you find out he's a multimillionaire. <laughs> because he yeah, look at Warren Buffett. <laughs> he still lives in the same house that he bought in fifty three and fifty four. <laughs> exactly, and it's because it's because he, he you know he he very um uh intentionally, but again, you know, not sexy, bought twenty rental properties thirty years ago, or over the course of you know ten years, thirty years ago, and now they're paid off, and it you know it's supporting him the way he wants to be supported, and and you know he's going to leave a huge. Uh, set of assets to his kids when he passes away, and uh, you're absolutely right. They, the 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 problem is that that point A thing, and yeah, any any place you go, someone's gonna and you and you talk to people about rental properties. Someone's gonna say, "Oh, I used to own one, but my tenants drove me crazy," or uh, my 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 parents did that, and you know, I remember the phone ringing at two in the morning with some tenant who was drunk and wanted my dad to come unplug his gutters or oh. something. You know, all, all that, all that sort of stuff is. I mean, and, and it's such a, it's so that that um, that view of what it is like to do rental management is so widespread. Uh, everyone thinks that that's the way it is, and clearly, again, you know, you can't have a full time job and seventy five properties and be putting up with that kind of thing. Absolutely not. You got to have a system in. There's some key components to that, but one thing that I hear, you mentioned uh, somebody says, well, you fix the house up, you rent it to them, you get it back, and it's tore up. Well, people and, and investors and, and folks that we work with and help in school, they act like they're dumbfounded. They don't know how to respond to that. And I'll, I'll tell them this, but they ask them, who gave them the key? <laughs> You give them a key to your property and they tear it up. You gave the key to the wrong people. And, mm-hmm. and so there's there are some responsibilities that go with this. But I'd like to say this. You said before 2007, and, and boy, I'd like, like to jump on your bandwagon here, Vina, because I saw it too. Everybody was teaching the magic pill, fast cash, become a millionaire in 32 hours and all this stuff. And you know what? Landlording having rental property, that's not sexy. Mm-hmm. It's a get-rich-slow program. Now, I'm not saying get a 30-year mortgage and then you got to wait 30 years to get them paid for. You just want to get to point B as quick as you can mm-hmm. and to have those puppies paid off. And you can achieve that and, and knock down a tremendous amount of years if you empower yourself with knowledge on how to make money in real estate with other things. Let's say that you specialize, let's say you're a used car salesman. And so you specialize in imports. You only do Jaguars and Mercedes and BMWs. And let's say that Ralph down the street, he's got a two-year-old school bus. I don't know what a school bus works, Venus, but I don't want that daggone thing sitting on my lot. But let's say that the Blue Book thing for for those uh, car dealers, let's say Blue Book on the thing is 60000 and they want to sell it to you for 7000 Well, I don't want a school bus on my lot, but I, I'm sure I could find somebody to give me 10 or 15 for it. And that's the kind of mindset that we got to have when you um, involve yourself in the real estate industry today. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Uh, well, Mike, we need to take a quick break. I want to remind listeners that we are here today to answer your management questions. And, you know, I'm always getting questions via email saying things like, I've got a tenant who did this. Can I evict him? I've, I'm having trouble doing that. How, what do I do about it? This is your time. This is your day, folks, to ask all of your important landlording and management questions. You can do that by giving us a call at 772-9658 if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area. If you're listening on the web, call us toll-free at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, only we're doing questions about landlording because I have with me Mike Butler, one of the top experts in the country on the topic of landlording. And uh, we actually just got a question in here from, let's see, David, who does not identify where he is from. Oh, Ohio. Uh, so this is, this is more of a, this is more of a rental evaluation question, Mike. Uh, he okay. said, "He says buying a good rental can be a challenge. I'm looking for cash flow and also some long-term wealth building. The problem in Ohio is the high taxes. I found a duplex that would give me $200 a month cash flow after principal, interest, tax, and insurance only, not counting any repairs or vacancies. That's not enough, is it? That's an excellent question. What was his name? David. David. Okay, David in Ohio. First of all, you said a number there that made me cringe. Okay? And that is $200 a month. <laughs> in the old days, when you had a safety net, that might be doable. But in today's market, no. No. Uh, for your positive cash flow on paper, okay, you have to allow for paying yourself first. This is the formula that I like to use. I mean, if, if you guys are in your car or if you have paper or something to jot this down, put your rent first, and let's say it's 800 and then pay yourself first. Put that in there next. And anything that I do from here on out, I'm going to say a minimum of 250 sometimes even 300 a month, and then allow for property taxes, insurance, look out for homeowner association dues and stuff. And I mention that because so we help cover the bases. I try to avoid those. And then other, you're going to allow for repairs. And older homes need a little more TLC. Newer homes need a little bit less. And so you're going to factor those things in there. And then whatever that number is at the bottom, David, that's going to be how much is left over for what we call debt service. And that's how you can handicap that. Now, as a general rule of thumb, in today's market, in Mayberry, USA, and I compare Cincinnati and my town, Louisville, and some others very similar. We don't have the peaks and valleys like they have in Vegas, California, and Florida and what have you. But the lower-end properties, you can have some phenomenal return on investment. For example, you can go down there and buy a three-bedroom house for twenty, twenty-five thousand, 25000 and rent it out for $700 a month. As far as a rate of return, that's phenomenal. But low-income housing, more management headaches, a little more hands-on, primarily Section 8. The prettier the house, especially if you get above the three-bedroom, two-bath. You get in four-bedroom, two-bath, two-and-a-half-bath, square footage is 1,500-plus in a nicer neighborhood, and you're going to try to get that and still have a house payment off, that's going to be tough. You're going to have a phenomenal property tax bill. 
And so those things don't cash flow as well, but the other benefits there might be tax benefits. So I hope that that helped out on uh, his question there. What do you have to add, Dina? Well, $200 a month after PITI is going to equal zero or less. <laughs> yeah. By the time you actually, you know, r- roughly, and, and I'd like to know what your numbers are, uh, Mike, because I, I always ask landlords of, of particularly who have single families, two families, three families, that sort of thing, roughly on a completely stabilized property that you, you, you know, it already has a good roof, it already has a good furnace, new windows, all that kind of stuff. I figure that 20% of the gross rents are going to go away in maintenance, vacancy, and long-term reserves. So your 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 eight hundred dollars a month has to be reduced by one sixty for reserves to put that aside. Because yes, someone's going to move out, and yes, even though you just fixed it up, you know something's going to happen in, in three months. And and yes, that roof that you just replaced is going to have to be replaced again in twenty years. So or less. Yeah. So so Dave, I think here, here's here's one of the things about today's market. Asking price does not equal what we will take for a property. So if you do Mike's calculation and come down, you know, so so rent minus what I want to make minus taxes minus insurance, because those are all fixed, minus 20% for vacancy and reserves, that will tell you how much of a payment you can make on a property. And you can back that into how much you can pay for the property. You know, just use use Excel or something or a, or a financial calculator and say, all right, well, what I'm left with that I could make as a payment is $354. How much mortgage will that support? And that's what you offer. Because that's, that's, that's the number that's going to make you that very important pay me first number that, uh, that Mike was just talking about. So uh, appreciate your question, Dave. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you have a question as Dave did... Uh, give us a call at 772-9658 if you're in the greater Cincinnati area at 877-772-9658 outside greater Cincinnati. And uh, send us an email at askvina at gmail.com if you uh, are too chicken to do it the other way. Uh, so a uh, question here. Oh, my gosh, my Internet connection just failed. And now it is back. Okay. A question here from Chad, who is in Lakeland, Florida. He says, Mike, I have to tell you my biggest problem has got to be rent collection. My tenants pay late. Eventually, I evict them, and they typically owe me anywhere from $2,000 to $2,500 in lost rents, damages, and fees. Do you have any tips to how I can increase my profitability by actually collecting my rent? Oh, gosh. How many times have you been asked similar questions like that one, Dina? <laughs> well, I, most people aren't that honest about it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, yeah, that's true. That's true, especially on a radio show. <laughs> so I won't mention his name. I'll just say the town. Lakeland, Florida, then. And uh, I do remember the name there begins with a C. But uh, don't feel alone in this. But I, I can tell you that your answer your answer relies in prevention, and that's where it starts. So many people or so many investors get excited when they have a vacancy that the first one that flashes cash, they look at that's a Band-Aid to stop the bleeding, and that's not always the best thing. You've got to 
you've got to train your tenants. And I don't mean that in a bad way. And it, and it goes before that. Number one is you've got to know how to pre-screen or qualify tenants to begin with. And look in the crystal ball. There's ways when you come to the uh, Columbus Orea thing, I'm going to show you how you can look inside a rental applicant's home before you rent, how you can look inside your own rentals after they move in. But the big thing is screening your tenants. And then step number two, before you give them the keys, you've got to train your tenants. Just think about when I got a job as a bag boy at the Winn-Dixie supermarket. They didn't cut this high school kid up loose up at the front of the store sacking groceries. No. I had to watch all these goofy videos, four, five, six hours, take a test. They even had some practice groceries, and they allowed me to practice before I got started, before I got my green apron, and I was allowed to go up front and sack groceries. Now, that's just for above minimum wage job of sacking groceries, and look what most landlords do before they give keys to somebody to, to their investment property. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guilty of this one, Vina, myself. When I had my job, I didn't know any better. I was in a hurry. I needed to get this done and get that money and get home, with, have dinner with mom and the kids. And I can't tell you how many rental agreements I did on the hood of my truck or on that kitchen counter and say, here, sign this, initial that, give that, give me the money. I'm counting the money. Boop, boop, here, yeah, go ahead and sign that, date that there, and we're done. Boom. And here's your copy, and here's mine, and I'm out of there. What kind of training did I give that new tenant? Absolutely none. So now, today, this is one of the most important steps before beginning down that road of that relationship together. And I do not view tenants as customers. Did you know that, Bina? You probably heard this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't view your tenants as customers. What's that retail slogan? The customer's always... What is it? That's uh, uh, the retail slogan. Is the customer's always right? So tenants always right? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. So think of your tenants, guys. Just relationship-wise, not legally or anything, but just in your mind. Think of your tenants as your employees. So don't good employees make you money? Absolutely. What do you do with bad employees? You fire them. <laughs> Okay, so have rewards for your good employees. They're going to make you money. How long do you want to keep a good employee, Vina? Forever. Yes. So you got to make them feel valued and special and reward them, just like Southwest gives rewards to frequent flyers, and Delta does that. We need to do that with folks that make us money and don't focus on the bad ones. So I, I bump my gums a lot on that one. I'll let you have it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much things rent for in Lakeland, Florida, but if that's if that's more than a month's back rent, you're not evicting them. Soon yeah, I would enough. say so. And you know what, Vina? Florida is a very landlord-friendly state. Hmm. See, things I didn't know. So yeah, yeah, get get, 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 get compared to us. Yeah, you'll you'll typically find Chad that. Uh, you're not you're not doing your tenants any favors by uh, letting them get further behind, and I know a, a lot of landlords sort of fall into that for two reasons. Number one, you don't want a vacancy, and number two, you're just hoping that they will in fact do what they say they do they will do, which is, you know, it's always next week I'm getting overtime at work next week i'm getting you know whatever and i'll and i'll give you i'll give you a hundred dollars this week and then i'll give you some more next week but the thing is the further they get behind the harder it is for them to catch up 
and by the time yeah. by the time it's been my experience that by the time a tenant is two months behind, the chances that they are ever going to catch up, and I don't care what kind of property is in what kind of area, I don't care if they're high income, low income, it isn't going to happen after two months passes. Jill, it's the old thing: you give them an inch, they take a mile. You wait <laughs> one late charge, they'll 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 act like you did it for next month and the month after that too. Oh, I love late charges. Late charges, I I, I swear to you, are five percent of my rental income. We, we, You're right. I love late charges too. We we, all, we always collect have, them. <laughs> yeah, you, when I didn't have a system, I was pickled pink just to get the rent. Mm-hmm. But you got to have a system there. That's awesome. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Mike Butler, who I neglected to mention, but he remembered, is one of the featured speakers at the 2011 OREA National New Strategy Summit, which is coming up in just over a week eight days away now folks and uh, it's something that you should get to even if you can only come for a couple of days even if you have to drive eight hours to do it even if you have to walk and the way you should get to it don't look shocked Mike I mean that it's that good the way you do that is you go to wmkvfm.org on the front page you go about halfway down there's a link that says pledge to WMKV and get a great deal on the 2011 OREA convention do that. WMKVFM.org. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. This week we are answering questions about rental properties. Y'all need to go get some of those folks. Rental properties is what makes millionaires not flipping. Flipping is great. That you have a high income and a good lifestyle now but someday you're going to want to quit fixing or you're going to want to quit going out, out and finding deal after deal and you're just going to, going to want to lay back and rest on your laurels i.e. your income from your paid off rental properties. My guest today is Mike Butler, speaker at the upcoming OREA National New Strategy Summit, also the author of the bestseller Landlording on Autopilot, which you can also get at wmkvfm.org by going down there and clicking the Amazon button. It'll take you right over there and you can find Mike's book and order that. Uh, Mike's also the past president of the Kentuckiana Real Estate Investors Association in Louisville and a national RIA director. So, um, I guess ever ever ta- ever since you quit that full time job, you must have found yourself with a lot of time on your hands there, Mike. You gotta. <laughs> yes, I love I love it. But real estate has been very good to me. But, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, did you see the video for uh, the Oria event? I did. It was hilarious. Mike okay, Mike made a us competition a... there with John Hire. Yeah, Mike... and they got a special gift with their secret password. Do you see that? Yes, yes. Mike made Mike made a video that's uh, it's up on YouTube and about to be up on oreaconvention.com and it's 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 very amusing and he um, yes, takes on one of our other speakers. Uh, so got another question here. This one is from Steve in Cincinnati. Oh, by the way, I should give the phone numbers out again for folks who want to ask questions. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Uh, you can also send an email to askvena, that's A-S-K-V-E-N-A, at gmail.com. This one is from Stephen Cincinnati. He says, does Mike have mostly single family or multifamily houses, and what are the average monthly rents? Um, started off primarily single family houses. 
the bulk of my portfolio today is single-family houses. I still have apartment communities and have had more than I do now. But uh, in apartment communities, I find that you play referee. It's real hard to do anything without letting everybody else know. For example, let's say that you have a number of vacancies. And so you're giving some serious thought to lowering the rents to fill them up. Well, guess what? That's a cancer. You can't do that without the other ones knowing about it. And the other thing that's very frightening is if you don't dot every I and cross every T when processing a rental application and you get a bad apple that slips through and gets in your building, you're going to see that you're going to run off you're going to have four, five, six good tenants move out faster than you can evict that bad apple. Mm-hmm. And another thing with multifamily and apartment communities, and this is a hard pill to swallow, when those puppies are paid for, you can expect 48 to 50% operating cost paid for. And a lot of folks don't know that getting into it. Mm-hmm. We should set up a debate between like you and Anthony Chera about <laughs> single families versus multifamilies, because uh, everybody's got a you know everybody's got their 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 particular um, philosophies and way that they do things. Of course, another thing about multis, if if I may add my own experience, you get bed, yeah. you get bed bugs in a single family house. You've oh. got you've got bed bugs in a single family house. You get bed bugs in one unit of a multifamily, <laughs> and guess what? And ditto roaches, ditto mice, ditto rats. So, yeah, no, it, pros and cons. To yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And then the other one is you let somebody cook bacon naked on a Sunday morning in an apartment building. <laughs> the fire department, they come in there. They don't use keys. They use axes, and they use stalls, and they get on the roof and chop holes in your building. And then they call somebody like the the power company, and they come out with their big old bolt cutters, and they clip off all the electric and the utilities to your entire building. Uh-huh. <laughs> now how many empties will you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I've just found there's, there's pros and cons for each of them. And uh, I have many good friends who and investors who are very successful with multifamily, and I've just found that you can just set it and forget it a lot better, primarily with single-family houses without owning zip codes. Mm-hmm. So uh, can I do a little commercial for you for your OREA event? I guess so. <laughs> okay. Guys, this is awesome. I, when I looked at everything that's going on at the OREA event, where else on the planet can you go for three days for 99 bucks? And if you want to bring somebody else, it's two people for $119 and get to learn from over 20 national expert trainers, authors, networking sessions, resources, vendors, all kinds of stuff. Nothing like it on the planet. It's incredible. That's all I got to say. And maybe we can set up a smackdown with you and Charles Dobbins, multifamily versus single <laughs> yeah. families. <laughs> yeah, I go bet. I go bet with you about that. That'd be cool. <laughs> the the, the so debate. We'll both come out and say we're winners. You know, that's right. <laughs> um, now, Steve had a Steve had a second question, and I, okay. I was surprised that we didn't get this one already. Financing for Ooh. for rental properties. He says, "How does Mike recommend financing the purchase of a rental house these days?" Because, as I think 
anyone who's listening and, and hasn't been living under a rock for the last five years knows, banks aren't being real friendly. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, get out your pencil, sharpen it up real quick, because I'll go through these fast because I know we're pushed for time. Number one, I didn't have any money when I got started, and I was raised old school, so you're supposed to have 20% down to buy something. That's the way I was raised. So guess what? I never went to a bank to buy an investment property and can still say that proudly today out of all the deals and hundreds of properties and all that we've owned. And I don't know, I'm scared to count how many deals I've done though, but I've never gone to a bank to buy an investment property. That's number one. Okay. So how did you pull this off? Well, here's a phrase that I use that I'll share with the folks right now on the call had a little bit of money, and I bought my residences this way, and this is where I learned this. So I would buy a fixer-upper, and I'd say, hey, Mr. Seller or Miss Seller, if I give you my money now, I don't have any money to fix it up. So then it was a combination of jumping loans, seller financing, and that is how I was able to buy these things. And I'd stay away, if you're the buyer, stay away from contract for deed, stay away from lease option, because that's bad news. It doesn't protect you. I want you to always have a professional closing with a real title company or a real real estate attorney and get title insurance and get the deed. That's the way you're supposed to do it. No kitchen table closings. Put your mother in those seller's shoes. If, if, it, if you wouldn't do that deal with your mom, then that's not the right way to do it. There's a lot of people out there teaching some uh, very uh, not-so-good ways to do business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. So thank you for your thank you for your questions, uh, Steve. That's um, you know a serious concern. Can you repeat your phone number a little bit slower? My ears couldn't listen that fast. <laughs> the number is seven seven two nine six five eight or eight nine six five eight. Yep, or eight seven seven. Seven seven two nine six five eight for folks who are outside the greater Cincinnati area. Also, uh, askvena at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. And with that, we're actually going to take a break. So listeners, if you've got questions, you've got about 10 minutes left to get them on in here. We'll talk to you right after this. Support comes from Cincinnati Ballet's Giselle, the haunting classical ballet playing at Music Hall. Audiences will experience this eerie ballet just in time for Halloween, with performances running October 28th through the 30th. Tickets at 513-621-5282 or cballet.org. And we check on traffic now. Still have an accident eastbound Fort Washington Way. The left lane is blocked at the Elm Street overpass. Also, North 71 at Smith on the left shoulder in accident. And North 75 at Sharon Road on both shoulders. We have accidents. And as far as uh, off the expressway accident, Eden at East University, Blue Rock at River, and Forest at Vine. Your forecast tonight, some showers. Developing later this evening, tonight's low 48, chance of rain 100%. Tomorrow, 90% chance of some more showers, cloudy skies, and a high of 52. And then uh, we dry out a little bit over the weekend, looks good. Uh, Partly cloudy highs in the mid to upper 50s, lows around 35, maybe even back into the 60s by Tuesday of next week. But right now, it is a very comfortable 68 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We're tackling landlording and rental property questions. And we've had a bunch of questions regarding uh, evaluation of properties, financing of properties. Uh, I'm a little surprised because mostly what you all usually ask is questions about management. Because, I mean, you know, a house is a house. You evaluate it the same way no matter what you're going to do with it. The, diff, the big the big key to whether you're going to have a good life as a landlord or a bad life as a landlord is the management systems, which is something that Mike is an expert at and is going to be talking about at the OREA convention next week. More information about that at wmkvfm.org. Now, uh, Mike, we did get a question here that's that's a little bit more management oriented. Uh, this one is from JC out in Las Vegas, who is a, uh, a a frequent listener here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. And I'm sorry, my computer screen just went off as I was saying that. So let me get it. <laughs> All right, that's Murphy's Law. <laughs> exactly. I mean, live radio. <laughs> you gotta love it. Let me let me get it back on here. Um, Real Life oh, Radio. Oh, he says he said he says. Uh, Mike, I question whether it's actually possible to make money on single-family homes in higher-dollar markets such as Phoenix or Los Angeles, even when buying at a large discount and even when getting very low interest rates. Often properties don't cash flow according to the formula that you just laid out. Any advice for those of us who live in high-dollar markets? Absolutely. Then those, those will not work. And they won't work in every town USA. I said primarily Mayberry, but that's how you would do the math to at least get started to see if you're in the ballpark. And uh, Vina was right by saying that whatever that dollar amount is at the end, that's how much you got to play with and how much money can you buy for that. You know, and the ultimate extreme is let me pay you a dollar a year until it's paid for. Um, but those higher priced homes like that, they're tough. They, 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 they might not be good rentals. Uh, and where I would say I find that the, the best market is anywhere from first-time homebuyer uh, homes right in that area there because that's where your biggest pool of good quality tenants are going to be. You're not going to have a great big pool of good quality tenants at the high end. And I know some investors here locally that uh, Vena, they went out and got these 800,000 and a million two uh, rental homes and probably 40 of them. And uh, they don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are, those are tough. So, no, I would not recommend that. And if you've got those high-dollar homes out there, J.C., that's not going to work. So maybe you, if you don't want to invest, if your market right there in Vegas, and it's a very unique market, I am not an expert on Las Vegas, but if the numbers don't work, I ain't buying it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and 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 uh, JC, we're not gonna we've we've done this on prior shows that you might want to actually go back to the podcast and listen to. The solution a lot of folks in those high dollar markets are taking is to buy properties in places like Mayberry by which Mike means flyover country. Uh, the problem there is that, I'm sorry, you still have to know how properties are supposed to be managed. You still have to know how to evaluate them. You cannot take the word of someone who's trying to sell you a $60,000 asset, that that asset's actually worth $60,000, or that it's normal that it would be empty two months a year. 
you, you still have to be educated if you're going to 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 take uh, that particular uh, route. Okay, question here from Stuart, and Stuart is from. Stuart doesn't say where he's from. When you send emails to askvina at gmail.com, please let us know where you're from. If you call us at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658, I will ask you where you are from. Uh, So Stuart from wherever he's from uh, has a specific question. He says, Mike, I recently visited my single rental property and discovered that a house that has five people on the lease has 11 people living in it. How do I evict the six that don't belong there while still keeping the five that I rented to and that are paying rent? (laughs) Okay. Uh, This makes me chuckle a little bit, Dina, because it goes back to what we just stressed earlier, and that is prevention. So screening tenants properly and training tenants properly. But that's water under the bridge at this point for this investor. Uh, one is you're going to have to be able to prove that you got that many folks living there. And so uh, if that's a single-family house, uh, maybe ask the neighbors, and then it's going to be up to you to prove it in court. And I'm giving you worst-case scenarios. So the way I operate is prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And so the ultimate challenge for you as the investor is you're going to have to document and prove that there are, in fact, 11 people living there. Not just guests, but things like maybe they get their mail there, neighbors say that there's 10 cars parked there all the time, photographs. 11 beds. And that's very time-consuming, and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Plan B is more common sense, and I'm not sure. Did he say what state he was in? He Vienna? did not. I know. I know. It's important. Okay. Well... In Kentucky and in Ohio, in almost every landlord-tenant law around the country, they have two ways to pursue evicting someone. One is for non-payment of rent, and then the other is everything else, which would be basically like a lease violation or rental agreement violation. So in my state, in my town, we have to give them what's called a 14-day letter to correct their violation. So it's a warning. You've got 14 days to get rid of these unauthorized occupants and to get back in line with your rental agreement or your lease. And if they fail to do that, well, then you can start the eviction process. And that's pretty much what we do. Uh, We don't do a head count, but if there's supposed to be five people, and if it's a two- or three-bedroom home, there's 11 people living there, the neighbors are complaining, yeah, we're going to take action on that. One, is there a public nuisance? Two, you got unauthorized uh, occupants. And you're going to find some other things, probably unauthorized vehicles, city violations, parking in the yard or and all that. And so that, that's just going to make a mess. So you need to take action on it. And I, I would start with plan B first and just see if they'll uh, send them a notice, find out what your landlord-tenant law says, how many day violation or how many day notice do you have to give them to correct it, and then be prepared for the worst. What say you then, Vina? Yeah, and Stuart, that's a... Uh, you're 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 pointing out something uh, something very important that I'm sure Mike's going to touch on at the OREA conference, which is the importance of good documents, because you can't necessarily just throw somebody out of a house because you don't like what they're doing. Your lease and your other disclosures need to say things like, "There's five people living here. Here's the five. These are the only people allowed to live here. <laughs> if you bring any, bring anybody else in, you're violating the lease." So. Well, just look what they do in the court system today. 
talk about police, okay? I'm a retired policeman myself. When I got hired, did you see video cameras in cars? Nope. Your word meant something. Does it mean anything today? No. They want to see the video. They want to see the proof. They don't care what you say. Prove it. Show us. And so that trickles down to us as investors and landlords. We can't just walk in there and say, well, Billy Bob told me that they got a lot of people living there. No, you can't say that. you got to have proof. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, question from Robert in Hudson, Ohio. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Robert's going to be at the OREA convention, aren't you, Robert? He says, how much of Mike's portfolio is comprised of Section 8 rentals? What is his opinion of the Section 8 program? Ooh, excellent question. I'm going to say probably 15 to 20% is Section 8. Have those percentages been higher? Yes. I'm trying to weed out some of those and cherry-pick those and actually downsizing because uh, – uh, I'm not interested in owning a whole bunch of zip codes anymore. So I just want to have fewer paid for a quality properties, but section eight, here's my opinion about them. Section eight is administered by government agency. So the families that are on section eight, I have no problem with them whatsoever. I have got families on section eight that are as good or better. Than any straight rent tenants. The problem with Section 8 is the government. Mm-hmm. So it's a government agency that administers the program. They are anti, at least in my town, they are not pro landlord. They are anti landlord. They are pro tenant. And if a tenant asks them or has a question or anything like that, they will refer them to legal aid or to an attorney before saying, call your landlord or call the property manager to see what you can do to get it fixed. Now, we've got great relationships with uh, with our tenants, but uh, the problem with Section 8 is it's a government agency. And I think, Robert, that you will hear that any place you go in the entire country. I have never spoken to a landlord any place in the entire country that said, oh, Section 8 makes it so easy to house their clients. I mean, they're quick. They... they they process the paperwork fast. You're not going to hear this because that's no. actually you'll hear exactly the opposite. You know, so- I, have, I have found this out, Vina. If you're in more of a rural, I can't say that because I got a speech impediment. But R U R A L, a rural community, uh-huh. I found that the government agencies there that administer the Section Eight program, they're awesome. They pretty much do it all in one day because they're just not that busy. You know, in small towns. Uh, you know, going to a bank in a small town, you got eight tellers that jump up and ring the bell for you, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But not in a bigger town. Okay, got one last question here, or time for one last uh, question here. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, This is from Kirk in... Going to have to click through. And yes, he did in fact say where he is from. Kirk from Maryland uh, says... Mike, what I'm really looking for is properties that I can rent for the time being and then sell when they are paid off because uh, I intend to retire out of the country. Um, Does this mean that I should focus on bread and butter homes that have less cash flow now, or is it okay to focus on low-income homes, I guess, meaning is he going to have as good a chance of selling them uh, when he's ready to retire? Uh. 
when you say you're ready to retire, my question to you is, where's your income going to be from? If you just have a stockpile of cash, you're going to have to pay a ton of capital gains and recapture depreciation and all that unless you die. But then you wouldn't be retiring. Uh, but if you got quality, I'm saying a quality properties. They don't not them big things they're talking about out, out there in Vegas. But you can get a decent property manager, and I cringe at saying that. But uh, or you could hire somebody part time or create your own little in house property management company to manage those properties that are paid for, and you can do that from anywhere on the planet hmm. if hmm. you've got a competent person in place. And that fellow that was talking about. You tapped on this just a second ago, Vina. I know we're down to the wire. If, you're, if your town doesn't fit what you're looking for, pick a target town and do that. Don't do that splattered shotgun stuff, find a house in this town and a house in that town. You'll, you'll go broke. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like to have everything with one courthouse, one county. Very good. Well, Mike, we will see you next week at the OREA National New Strategy Summit. Again, if you haven't signed up, you're running out of time here, folks. It's not like you can, you know, sign up next Thursday at WMKVFM.org because we'll already be up there. Do it now. WMKVFM.org, National New Strategy Summit next week. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.